Hi everybody, welcome to a special pre-San Diego Comic-Con International 2008 Tomorrow's Tune-In Podcast. I am your host, Chris Marshall, and today on the show, it's really fun. I am going to be going over what we have going on in San Diego this upcoming week. I've got interviews from a bunch of people, including Eric Nolan Wethington, George Corey on their Modern Masters book with John Romita Jr. Keith Dallas updates us on the Flash Companion and how Barry Allen relates to Final Crisis. Joe Mino, who is the editor of Brick Journal Magazine for the Lego Enthusiasts. And then finally, comic book legend Roy Thomas joins us to take a look at his new alter ego number 79, which is his Superman special. But first, let's get right to the San Diego schedule. And this is going to be a rundown of everything we're at San Diego where you can find us. So be sure to keep this in your iPod if you're going to the show. And you can come by the panels and the signings that we're having. And uh, just keep this handy in your iPod or any other device that you have with you. And of course, you can find all the specific notes over at tomorrow's blog at tomorrows.com. So let's get right to the signings now. And all of these signings will be at booth 1215, where Tomorrow's is having their booth. Mike W. Barr, author of numerous comics, including Camelot 3000 and Batman and the Outsiders, plus the Tomorrow's Silver Age sci-fi companion, he will be signing Saturday from 4.30 to 5.30. He is also moderating a panel on Joe Stanton, which takes place in room four, just an hour before there. Keith Dallas, who is the author of The Flash Companion, who I just mentioned. And that book, actually, The Flash Companion, will debut at Comic-Con International. Keith will be at the booth from Thursday from 4 to 5, right after the Tomorrow's Publishing panel in room 10, Friday from 3 to 4, and Saturday from 11 to 12 in the morning. Joe Mino, who is our Lego editor from Brick Journal, he will be signing from Thursday from 2 to 3, Friday from noon to 1 after the Lego Brick Journal panel, which is in room 4, and Saturday from noon to 1. Benjamin Holcomb, author of tomorrow's acclaimed book, Mego 8, Superheroes, World's Greatest Toys, he will be signing at booth 1215 from Thursday from noon to 1, Friday from 1 to 2, Saturday from 3 to 4. Danny Fingeroth, who was a guest on the Tomorrow's Tune-In podcast not too long ago, he, of course, is the acclaimed Spider-Man writer and editor and editor also of Tomorrow's Right Now magazine. Danny will be signing Thursday from 5 to 6, Friday from 5 to 6, and Saturday from 2 to 3, right after the Tomorrow's academic panel in room 30AB. In addition, Modern Masters editor Eric Nolan Wethington and publisher John Morrow will be at the booth nonstop for most of the convention, and Rand Hope of the Jack Kirby Museum will also be there scanning Kirby art for the museum's archives. A couple of new titles that will be debuting at Comic-Con International this year. The Flash Companion, like I just mentioned. Modern Masters Volume 18, John Romita Jr. The Jack Kirby Checklist, the Gold Edition, which of course we've been mentioning here on the Tomorrow's Tune for the past couple of months. And also Brick Journal Compendium Volume 1. Before I get onto the panels that we'll be having at Comic-Con International, I want to let you know that our online store at Tomorrow's.com is closed right now, only temporarily, from July 21st through August 5th. John is going to be 
out in San Diego and doing business. And, of course, when he gets back into town, he will open it back up. You guys can do orders right now, but the orders will not ship until after August 5th. So the store is open for pre-ordering. Uh, just don't expect anything to be shipping right away. So like I said, let's get to the panels right now. And our schedule is as follows. Modern Masters Live, Thursday, July 24th from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Modern Masters editor Eric Nolan Wethington brings together three of the greatest artists in comics, Frank Cho, Mark Schultz, and Michael Golden, for a conversation about art, comics, and beyond. That is in room 5AB. Tomorrow's publishing today, Thursday, July 24th, 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Join the crew from Tomorrow's Publishing for a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into the creating of all their fan-favorite books and magazines on the art and history of comics. On hand will be publisher John Morrow, Modern Masters editor Eric Nolan Wethington, Right Now's Danny Fingeroth, Brick Journal's Joe Mino, and Keith Dallas, author of The Flash Companion. Keith is definitely a busy man this week. As they unveil the new products and offer exclusive previews of upcoming items, that is going to be in Room 10. Lego and Brick Journal Brave New World, Friday, July 25th, from 11 o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock noon. Come see what grown-ups and big kids are doing with Legos today and what fuels them to never put the bricks down. With notable guests including Joe Mino, editor and creator of Brick Journal, the magazine for adult fans of Lego and for kids. That's It is for kids, too. Expert builders Bryce McGlone and Brandon Griffith and female builder Jesse Pastor. This panel showcases an amazing example of how they put their Lego building talents to use. So dust off those old bricks in your basement and join the brave new world of Lego builders. That is in room four. Comics Arts Conference session number nine, the Tomorrow's Publishing and the Academic Community. Very interesting panel here. Saturday, July 26, 1 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock in room 30AB. Tomorrow's Publishing is known for celebrating the art and history of comics, and the company has been making inroads into the academic community with its line of how-to books, magazines, and DVDs. Now you can have your chance to hear and participate in the dialogue with Tomorrow's and find out how to strengthen the relationship between the publisher and the academic community. What TM publication do you feel speak to you and your students, and what educational niches do you see that Tomorrow's can fill for the academic world? Publisher John Morrow, Danny Fingeroth from right now, represents Tomorrow's in this freewheeling exchange of ideas. Peter Coogan from the Institute for Comic Studies speaks for the academic viewpoint. And Derwin Talon, panel discussions in Savannah College of Art and Design. And John Lowe, working methods from the Savannah College of Art and Design, have a foot in both worlds. Q&A to follow. And of course, you guys may be familiar with the Savannah College Art and Design because a lot of those people who have been involved with that project were on the uh, Around Comics podcast for a while there in April and March while the guys from Around Comics took a hiatus. So definitely a, uh, a really interesting panel is going to be happening at the academic panel there in San Diego. So be sure not to miss it. That is going to be really a lot of fun and very informative. So let's get to the interviews right now. I'm going to start it off with Eric Nolan Wethington and George Corey on Modern Masters John Romita Jr. Then we're going to go to Keith Dallas and his update on The Flash Companion and Barry Allen. Joe Mino will join us for Lego and Brick Journal Magazine. And then finally, Roy Thomas on Alter Ego 79, his Superman special. 
So I'm here with uh, Eric and George. Hey, Eric, you've got your New Modern Masters book coming out on John Romita Jr. What can you tell me about that book? Well, it's on John Romita Jr. Uh, it's, um, it, it's it's the standard Modern Masters fare. You know, we got a good uh, thorough interview from him, and you know, covers his whole career and lots and lots of art. Uh, you know, we've got a uh, nice range of art from uh, early days all all up. He's, he's been around for 30 years. It's hard hard. Or that might be to believe, but uh, he's, he's uh, got quite a career and got um, on display here in the book. George, you've been doing comics for a number of years, you know, writing about comics and everything. What can you tell me about your experiences with John Romita Jr.? John Romita Jr. has been around since I've been reading comics. <laughs> I think that was, like, the appeal to doing that book. Like, just to, like, you know, he's one of the guys that he's he's been here a long time, you know, like most people, you know, are, are used to, I don't think most people know what, you know, his, yeah, I don't think they know what Ramita is about, so, like, because he, he's also, like, very quiet, and I don't think he does very many interviews, I don't think he's ever been explored, like, he's been explored in this book, you know, his career, and what he's about, you know, I think that's all shown in this book. How does yeah. he compare to his father? He's very different from his dad, I think he's a, he, uh, he he's more gritty, I think, than his. You know, it's completely different styles. He started when he started his career. I think he was a little bit more like his dad in terms of his art, but now it's just a little more gritty and and it's a totally different style. And what what do you what do you like about his style? Do you like his Spider-Man work or his other work or what do you, what do you think is his best work over that he's done throughout his career? His best work. Uh, uh, probably man, oh, uh, man without beer. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, I, 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 I wore one of those those first issues of Black Panther as well. Yeah, that too. Yeah. But he changes his style like every couple of years. Like it just keeps evolving. He doesn't even notice it. So it's just kind of cool. He never settles for like one particular style. If you really look at his art, like you see it in this book, you'll see that he keeps evolving. He never really stays the same. Yeah, I think it's most apparent. Uh, when you compare his, his three different runs on Spider-Man, you can see a, a really distinct evolution of uh, what he's doing. Uh, you compare those, but they're, they're so far apart. Those, those runs that uh, he can really see the differences are very, very apparent. Is he conscious of that throughout the stages of his career, or does he just keep on doing what he's doing and just evolves with the times? Yeah, it's like George said. It, he doesn't really notice, I don't think, but he, does, he did say in the interview that... Um, you know, he was he does try to do something a little bit different with each project. So he's conscious of it to a certain degree, but not of what he's doing per se. It's just he does how it feels to him at the time. But uh, so it's not like a real conscious effort to change the style. But he knows he's wants to do something a little different to grow with each project. So. so besides the interview, what kind of extras do we have in here that you can tell the listeners about? Anything that you guys kind of dug up that was you know, buried in his work for a number of years? Not really. I mean, he's, he's, he puts everything right there in his work. I mean, it, there's not, there's no real hidden gems. He's, he's stuff just out there, you know. He, he doesn't do a whole lot of extra stuff. Uh, yeah, this isn't the guy who does, like, unpublished work or anything. I think everything he does comes out. <laughs> yeah, but that's what he says. He, you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of drawing outside of what's for work, you know. We've got, like, his best stuff. You know, like, whatever you have fond memories of, it's probably in this book. So, like, you know, we try to hit, like, all the major things that he's done. 
George, what is he currently working on? He's working on Spider-Man, and I think he's still working on Kick-Ass. He is? Oh, he's on Kick-Ass. Okay. Oh, that's all right. That's right. Hmm. Now, that's with the Icon line. Is that going to be a limited series or an ongoing series? I think Icon is just a mini-series, right? Six issues. Okay. Yeah, I think initially it's a mini-series. Oh, and the, our introduction is by Mark uh, Miller, just in case people want to know. This book will be out later in July, right around the con, right? Yeah, it should yeah. be out right in time for the con. And then, Eric, you're going to be at the con? Yes, I will. Uh, well, I've got uh, the tomorrow's panel, of course. I'm not sure what, what time that is, but I'm sure you've already got that, that, uh, got that on yours. And uh, I'm doing a Modern Masters live panel um, this year. Uh, I think I mentioned that on the last show, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll say it again just because I want people to show up. That, um, that, uh Michael Golden and Frank Cho and Mark Schultz on the panel, and uh, Thursday at one o'clock uh, in room five A B. So I've got a big room. I want people to want to, want to fill it up. So hope everybody uh, can can come out to that and it should be a good time. I, you know, these guys, you look at them on the surface and you don't see a lot of uh, comparisons between them, but I, they I do, they really do have a lot in common. Uh, that's why I'm kind of going forward with the panel. George, are you going to the con? No, not this year. Not this year. Oh man. What are you working on these days? Uh, Age of TV Heroes, The Extraordinary Works of Alan Moore, Volume 2, <laughs> and that's it for now. And you're coming for free sources? Yeah, and the dial will return soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, I'm back with Keith Dallas, the editor of The Flash Companion. Keith, how are you? Great. How are you doing, Chris? Good. Hey, I just had you on a few months ago in May, and we talked about the Flash Companion and all the goodness that is inside of it. And But but now, since then, uh, Final Crisis has come out and the return of Barry Allen. Yeah, so can you believe it? that? I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe it. The worst, the worst kept secret that DC Comics has, has ever kept. That uh, you know the Barry Allen, the Barry Allen return is something, geez, that I, I've heard through the rumor mill for probably probably for about a year, to be honest. Well, in researching your book, what could what did DC tell you, or did they tell you anything? Or oh, nothing. Yeah, no. It was when I found about it. It was one of those I found about it from a creator who who learned who learned it from another creator who learned it from another creator type of thing, and so when I first heard it. It, you know, somewhere in my position, you never know when when the creators are trying to punk you, and you never know when the creators are are feeding you information just to see if you go and blab about it. So um, at the beginning, when I heard these rumors, I, I just said, okay, you know, I, I just kept my mouth shut and said, you know, who knows if this is legitimate or not. But once I heard it from like the fourth or fifth creator. Uh, all of whom were who were not connected to each other. That's when I I realized it was it was legit. It wasn't a, it wasn't a rumor anymore for me. It was you know a certainty that Barry Allen was coming back. So I made sure that in my Barry Allen introduction at the very end of my introduction to the Barry Allen section, you know I hint at the return, the imminent return. So on on one hand, it's the Flash Companion is <laughs> sort of by complete chance coming out, you know, at, at the perfect time, you know, given this Barry Allen rebirth. Uh, and, but it, it was completely unplanned. You know, it was just uh, a happy circumstance that I, that I pitched this book at the right time. 
I pitched this book to to Tomorrow's just as DC Comics was planning to bring Barry Allen back, in which at that point, at, at the time that I pitched The Flash Companion, I, I, I didn't know then that Barry Allen was back. It was sort of, uh, you know, a, a few months into it when I learned when I learned the, when I learned the rumor. And along the same lines, and you didn't really know the fate of Wally West or Bart really at the at that time. Right, and I still don't. Honestly, I still don't. I'm, I'm I am hoping that uh, Wally West is not fated to die. I think that would be that would that would be a travesty. Uh, I can go, I'll go on the record and say that that that. that it it would be a, a real shame if they just sent Wally West to the grave just to pave the way for Barry's return. My gut tells me that that is not going to happen, um, mostly because I think Jeff Johns is is in charge of this this return of Barry Allen, and I know of his fondness for Wally West. So my gut tells me that that that's something that he wouldn't allow to happen. I have a feeling something's going to happen. Maybe Wally loses his powers or maybe Wally uh, in some way retires in order to spend more time with his kids or something. Um, but, you know, as many people online say, hey, look at how many Green Lanterns we have roaming around the DC universe. Why can't you have three or four Flashes doing the same thing? I mean, we've we've already gone well over... Uh, you know, two decades with both Jay and Wally. Uh, well, no, no, Jay. Well, no, Jay. Jay was. I'm trying to remember when Jay came back from that whole uh, last days of Just Society. But yeah, so, well, at least ten years. It's been at least ten years since Jay's come back, and and he and Wally have uh, coexisted as the Flash in the, D- the DC universe. So why? Why can't there be, uh, you know, a third Flash? Right, yeah. and with that, we had Bart along that time, and even Max Mercury. You know, yes, right, right, well, right, exactly. Even though technically they weren't named, you know, the Flash. But yeah, of course, I mean, you could have as many super speeches as you want. <laughs> right. That I think that Barry Allen is going to stick around only for the Final Crisis and then probably go away. Do you think he's going to stick around after Final Crisis, or do you think it's just kind of like pop in, pop out kind of thing? I had actually assumed that he was sticking around. Um, I think maybe part of it might be dependent on how well uh, a Barry Allen, a Barry Allen re- rebirth series sells. Um, but my, my assumption was that he's he's sticking around. I mean, there's certainly uh, you know plenty of of story potential for Barry Allen. You know, and Jeff Johns, I think, has even hinted at some of it, you know, regarding, you know, he's obviously spent so many years outside of the DC universe and think of all the changes that Superman and Batman and Hal Jordan and, you know, all of his old JLA teammates has undergone and, and just, you know, just playing around with that where he's has to catch up on, uh, on, on, how his teammates have changed and how just, you know, the DC universe has changed. So I I would, I would actually be surprised if they, if they only kept him around for say a rebirth series and then sent him back into the speed force, um, for them to do that uh, would mean that the readers have flat out rejected the return. And I, I, 
don't see that coming. I, I mean, I see this as a pretty big event in, in, in the DC universe. This book comes out Wednesday, July 23rd, correct? Right, it should. I, I don't know if it's going to be in stores, okay. uh, but uh, John Morrow assures me that there will be copies available at the San Diego Comic-Con on preview night. So he, he says he's bringing a stack of, a stack of the books. I, you know, we'll see if I even get a copy before then. That might be my, even my first chance to, to actually hold the book in my hands. So when it actually comes, it's, it, you know, that's when the book will be, will have been printed. I'm suspecting that it will be in stores either the week after that or maybe early August. But, you know, I've received confirmation that the book's at the printer. It's been, you know, John's got the galleys. He's signed off on it, and it's, it's printing as we speak. And you're going to, like you said, you're going to be at San Diego, and you're going to be on a couple, a, a panel with tomorrow's, right? Yeah, I'll be there. There's a tomorrow's panel on that Thursday at San Diego, I believe at three o'clock, uh, with with me and Danny Fingeroth and who else? Eric and oh, I'm blanking out. There's, there'll be I think there'll be like five of us speaking about upcoming, uh, current and upcoming tomorrow's uh, publications. And anything else in the works for you at tomorrow's right now? Well, I've, I've pitched John a, a few ideas. I think, um, you know, John might regret having accepted one proposal from me because he's going to you know, be bombarded by other proposals from me. But I had, I, you know, I, I have a few ideas floating around. Probably not another companion book. It, 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 you know, as, as the other companion editors will tell you or may have told you, it, 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 this takes a lot out of you, you know, uh, researching and writing and coordinating a book like this can, can really be a marathon or it was a marathon. So probably not, even though there's obviously plenty of material to do a second flash companion, maybe, you know, if there's a demand, I might be able to convince John to sign off on a, on a second flash companion. Um, but, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I definitely have some more proposals to send John's way. So, all right, Keith, well, thanks for joining me today, and we'll see you in San Diego. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm here with Joe Mino, editor of Brick Journal Magazine for Tomorrow's Publishing. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Hey, uh, why don't we get a little into the history of Brick Journal, because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't first published by Tomorrow's. It was published independently. How did it come to be? How did, it, how did the magazine start up? first of all, and how did it come to be at Tomorrow's? Uh, Brick Journal started up basically as something uh, almost a dare by, by a couple of people, and uh, it was an online publication. It was actually, there was no publisher before uh, Tomorrow's. I was the person who just put it online and let it go. And it's a magazine about the Lego building community. And um, the community as we know it is actually a little larger it's about it's a few thousand people and they've always wanted something like a publication and I just stepped forward and decided to do it since I'm a graphic designer by trade and um, since I didn't have any resources at the time I just put it online and let it go from there so um, uh, John actually knew of it from about the first issue but it took about a year before I sort of came around to the idea of getting it published because 
I honestly thought that the it would be an expensive proposition. And now, how many issues are you on right now tomorrow? Uh, this will be our second issue. It just came out, um, and you, you can actually get those over at Barnes & Noble. We actually have a newsstand uh, distribution on, on it. And uh, before that, there were nine issues done uh, exclusively online, but they're actually being uh, collated and put into compilations. And the first compilation should be coming out, cross your fingers, end of July. And then what are the, the Brico journals that we have at tomorrow's? That's the value pack. That's if you buy a, a box of them, which is 25 issues, you get them for basically a, a wholesale price. And that actually was done a, done to, um, it was an outrage. And it still is for uh, overseas because there are a lot of people who are Lego hobbyists who, are, who, who live in Germany especially, Britain, and they have a hard time getting issues of Brick Journal, and uh, we tried to accommodate them. This is the best idea we've come up with so far, although we are looking at trying to get a distribution overseas. Okay. And it's still in electronic form. You can still pick it up in PDF form, right, at tomorrow's? Yes, you can get it at, at both. You can get it at both forms. Uh, you can order it. Uh, you can order issues individually, get subscriptions, get the digital editions, and um, honestly, if you want it really fast, get the digital edition. Now, has Lego been in touch with you about anything? What, what is their involvement, if any? Uh, Lego actually is involved. Uh, they have provided uh, quite a bit of support and actually some funding, for, uh, seed funding for me to get Brick Journal off the ground. And um, their most obvious um, help uh, and support comes in the uh, articles that we get because they provide me with the uh, not the support network, not yet. That's coming, actually but with the information network to get in touch with the designers and all the people over the Lego group that, um, that give us all these wonderful articles. This magazine is not only, I mean, it, it, it seems to, when I thumb through it, it looks like it's catered to uh, someone my age in my late 30s, early 40s, uh, because, you know, we, this is our generation. We definitely grew up with Legos. Um, and I grew up with Legos before they even had all the sets. I mean, it was just a pile of bricks. Yeah. Uh, but this magazine really caters to everybody of all ages. Yes, it does. It's actually, uh, it's, it's a, well, it, there's two views on it. One of it is as a Valentine card to the Lego group, which is a, a, a pretty appropriate view. And another one is, is that it's an introduction to the hobby and all the things that go on with it. Because the hobby is, is a growing one. It's, it's still a rather small one. But it's a growing one with events and things that, that are going on all around. And I just wanted to come up with something that would get people interested in the hobby and figure, you know, give them a way to get involved. So there's things like uh, event reports and instructions and articles on how to do things. And uh, we st we're going to be doing some more of that as we go along. Now, the latest issue is coming up in September, right? Is that going to be issue three? Do you know what we, what we can expect in that one? Well, considering we're rounding up the articles right now, yeah, uh, we actually uh, we actually are working on getting an interview with the CEO to Lego. This will be the third one that we've gotten. We, we, we based, it's become something of an annual tradition, tradition, and the previous two interviews were only on online. And um, we're... Actually, over at San Diego Comic-Con, the, um, the, 
the model that's used for the cover illustration is going to be shown, displayed, uh, over at the presentation and also afterwards over at, at uh, the Tomorrow's booth. Um, besides that, there's going to be some uh, event reports on some things that happened over here in the States and also overseas. And um, there's also a couple other things that I can't really talk about right now. <laughs> You now, as far as what happened here in the states, you just got back from Brick World in Chicago. Yep. Right? What was that all about? That is the that is now the largest uh, leather convention in the states, and uh, it has it had um, three hundred attendees and had about three thousand public uh, guests uh, show up, and it it basically was a it was a big show. It was a big display. It had presentations for. For the attendees about building and um, uh, why well, I did a talk to about Brick Journal, and um, I also had some things by the Lego Group and also some nice little contests that they held. So all in all, it was basically it's yeah, it's a comic convention for those people who like Lego. That's about the best way to put it. That sounds great. Is there anything else you want to talk to us about about Brick Journal or Lego in general? I'll just. If you're interested in seeing what people can do with a simple toy, just go over to BrickJournal.com or go over to um, go over to uh, Barnes and Noble, especially, and check out Brick Journal. I mean, it, it's a blast for me to do, and it, I'm I'm very happy that I'm working with John because yeah, I can relate to him. This is how uh, Jack Kirby, the Jack Kirby collector, started, and he sees that and he wants to help me out. So it's it's been great all around. Cool. Well, thanks, Joe. That was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so basically, let's just start off with your magazine, because you created Alter Ego. Well, actually, it was, I, I helped create it, but it was really my uh, friend and correspondent, Jerry Bales, who was a college prof who came up with the idea in 1961, and I just helped him out from the long distance. He was in Detroit. I was in uh, Missouri, and... Uh, he called me co-editor because I helped him out, and I, I eventually took it over about three years later. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm afraid that the title and the general concept was really not mine. And then, how did it get moved over to Tomorrow's after all that time? Well, it, it really hadn't been in existence uh, for you know a couple of uh, decades. Uh, I had done a comic book with that title in the '80s for a few issues, uh, but other than that, it, it hadn't been around uh, for since. 78 had been the last issue, and then suddenly, about almost exactly 20 years later, uh, John B. Cook, when he started comic book artist for Tomorrow's, uh, announced he was going to cover some of the, you know, I don't know, forgotten people in comics, and Gil Kane and I were at the top of the list, so I thought, well, I don't think Gil and I are especially forgotten, you know, uh, really, And but uh, it's nice to have somebody besides Jack Kirby, you know, being covered, so... Uh, I volunteered to cover it sometime maybe in a little alter ego section or something, which he ended up making sort of the the uh, flipped, uh, you know, upside down back part of the magazine. And uh, after about four or five issues, he and John Morrow, the publisher, decided to boot me out and have me do a, a magazine on my own. And, of course, I, I didn't know. Well, I didn't know if there would be enough stuff to, uh, to cover. But, of course, you know, 70 or 80 issues later, <laughs> still going strong. So I guess there's still there was plenty of stuff to cover. And then now we have issue 79, which is out in July. Yeah. There'd be even more if I weren't so busy uh, working for Marvel again right now. I'd be publishing it 12 times a year. I've had to cut it back in the last year back to eight because I was just too busy to do 12 a year. 
So actually, it would, otherwise, the numbering would be even higher. So it's amazing. It's, when you consider each of those is about 100 pages, even with ads, that's you know pushing 8,000 pages in the last decade uh, of uh, stuff, mostly dealing with the comics from the beginning of comics uh, as comic books in the 30s and 40s through, for the most part, the middle 70s or maybe something particular that I was involved with at any time. Those are my sort of my two franchise areas. Now, this one deals all with Superman and the 70th anniversary of Superman, correct? Yeah, we have a couple of other regular features we always have. You know, uh, the, the FCA, which deals with the Fawcett people, and a fan uh, archive, and um, Michael Gilbert's uh, comic uh, crypt thing and so forth. But the majority, and there's an interview with uh, uh, Lou um, uh, Cameron, who was a, a, an artist in the 1950s, but most of the material in the issue is about Superman. Every about every year or something, I find some excuse to do a, a Superman issue because he's just the iconic, you know, superhero. I mean, I I think of him in a way I would never think of Batman or Spider-Man or Conan or any other character in, in comics. There just isn't any other character that I would rank up there with Superman, even though he's not a character that I, you know, have religiously followed since I was a kid, really. But he just deserves, I think, this treatment because without him, there is no comic book superhero industry, you know, uh, and to me, it'll always be Superman and Batman, never Batman and Superman. Now, how are you celebrating his life specifically in this issue with, with the artists or writers or different... Well, a little bit of everything. Uh, one uh, one uh, real Superman fan, uh, Eddie Zeno, wrote a little piece on seven, uh, a page, one page each on seven major artists, you know, of the uh, from the 1930s to the 1960s. Uh, you know, guys from Joe Schuster and Wayne Boring through Kurt Swan, but the uh, uh, but the two main pieces really, I think, uh, uh, behind this beautiful cover by Michael Golden, just which is just done a couple of years ago, Superman holding up a tank, which looks a lot like one of his classic World War II covers redone. Uh, there were two pieces I'm particularly pleased with. One is the the first ever interview I believe ever published with uh, Joe Schuster's sister. Gene Schuster Peavy, the sister of the artist who co-created the character, uh, she hung around with Jerry and Joe, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, back in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, at the in the days when they were making up Superman and and so forth. So she has a lot of little anecdotes and stories in this interview that uh, you know, of things that uh, really have never been said before, you know, and uh, that, that's that's kind of nice to. Uh, it's obviously a little hard to dig up anything new, you know, on of guys like Siegel and Schuster. They've been covered, in, and deservedly so, in uh, books and magazines for the last few decades. And uh, so to get this first-ever interview with uh, Joe's sister was really a, a wonderful thing uh, to do. And the other thing that was kind of a weird thing that I lucked into just in time was that um, uh, an acquaintance of mine, Jack Bender, who, who uh, co-writes and draws the Alley Oop comic strip, mm-hmm. uh, is a huge fan, and he informed me that he has a bunch of pages from uh, that have never been printed, uh, several pages from a super rare, unpublished Superman story from about 1940. I mean, this is when the character was just a year or so old. And uh, not just any Superman story, but why did they decide not to publish it? Well, because of two things. One is, it's the story that introduced, although it didn't call it that, kryptonite. And evidently, the, the publishers or someone at DC over Jerry and Joe's head decided at the last minute, after our 26-page story was written and drawn, that they did not want to introduce this uh, metal, K-metal, they called it, that uh, weakened Superman. It wasn't quite the same as the properties of Kryptonite today. It just made him weaker, and sometimes it made other people feel good, which is a little strange. But it was really the ancestor of Kryptonite. And they just 
sat on it, and, and eventually the pages all got kind of, you know, thrown away or stolen or whatever. And from now on, from time to time, pages of them, of it pop up. And I thought, well, this is really, you know, a, a story of monumental importance. If it had come about in 1940, it would have changed Superman's history quite a bit because uh, Kryptonite didn't come into the Superman comic books until 1949, t- over 10 years after the character. And the other thing that is probably the real reason, even more so, that it was that, that the story was sat on the shelf and was never, never published, uh, is the fact that uh, in it, uh, Clark Kent reveals, uh, and it stays revealed at the end of the story, reveals his, uh, his secret identity to Lois Lane, hmm. so that they become uh, partners at the end of the strip. And Jack Bender, along with uh, photocopies of a number of other pages, actually owns the, I think it's the second or third from last story in the book, in which... Superman and Clark, you know, he, he tells her how, yes, he, he really does care for her. The, the whole thing about um, Superman pretending not to was just proposed, and that the way Clark felt about her was the way he really feels. And she proposes they become partners, and he says, that, that's a good idea. And that's, where, and that's just amazing to me. It, it, just think, what if, uh, what if Superman had revealed his secret identity to Clark, uh, to Lois, in the comic books in 1940? I mean, how different everything, including the TV series and the movies and everything else, would have been all these decades. Yeah. Uh, there were other characters who, who did other superheroes who revealed their secret identities to their girlfriends, Hawkman and Sandman and a number of others, but not Superman, you know, and uh, not most characters and certainly not Superman. That was like one of the main, you know, cornerstones of the Superman legend, uh, changed maybe somewhat nowadays, but for the first several important decades of Superman that really established him, that was... The thing, and here's a story that got shelved because it would have done away with all that. They, they, they rather, they would rather swallow the art and story payment for 26 pages uh, and never publish it, rather than than do this. But I keep hoping uh, something like about half the story has turned up in one form or the other now. I'm along with a copy of the uh, the whole script. I'm hoping that someday, you know, uh, all of it will be put back together, and maybe DC will publish it, you know, as a certain monumental uh, landmark that could have been. And I was, you know, real pleased to be able to show three or four, about four pages from it that have never been printed before, including the splash page, which has never been printed before. So that was very, very nice, uh, you know, to be able to do it. And I had, you know, it's just a good way of celebrating Superman's stabbing uh, of history on this cover in which he, uh, on which Mike Golden has done this beautiful drawing of Superman lifting up a tank. I couldn't resist writing. No, there's no line of copy. There's no mention of the word of Superman on it. It's and everything like that, but just the line, not bad for a 70-year-old man, huh? Yeah, there doesn't need to be any introduction, does there? I mean, everybody knows who he is. So. Right, and this is this is the 70th, 19, uh, I mean, 2008 is the, actually it came out with a June cover date and came out a month or two before that, but um, it's still, it's pretty close to that. It's, it's really the 70th anniversary of uh, Action Comics number one, which introduced Superman. There he was picking up a, a car, over his head, and uh, in this one he's picking up a tank. But it's a beautiful uh, cover for uh, what, what I, an issue I was really you know kind of proud of. Do you get to read Superman these days? I, could, I, I don't really read comics much anymore. I, I write some, and I read old comics. You know, I, I collect old comics, and I'll try to read some of them. But I, I sort of, you know, I, I already stopped reading and keeping up with uh, current comics about 20 or 30 years ago, mm-hmm. except for the ones I wrote and occasionally the other ones I you know, I need to read in order to uh, to do that if there's some continuity thing or other. But otherwise, I sort of drifted away once I stopped being Marvel's editor-in-chief in 74. I just kind of quit reading 
new comics, and uh, I still pick them up. I, I know who some of the artists are, and I appreciate. I, I like all the art. And it's wonderful to see the range of subject matters now in uh, in comic books. You know, no longer just superheroes, westerns, war, and humor, but almost anything you know uh, that uh, can be in comics. But that doesn't. But even all the same, if I read now, I mostly read biography and history, and I, I just don't find myself making much time for comics or graphic novels, mm-hmm. which doesn't you know say anything about them. It says more about my own changing taste for the last few decades. Will you be going to the San Diego Con this year? No, I only go to conventions when they pay my way. San Diego <laughs> paid my way last year, so I went. The next time they send me uh, a plane ticket, I'll come again. Perfect. <laughs> you get to do it. Do you get to get to Heroes Con though, which is near you? Oh yeah, I always drive up to Heroes Con. I'm, I usually, unfortunately, don't get a chance the last couple of years to be there more than a day, which especially annoyed me this time because Herb Trimpey, my old collaborator in the Hulk, was there, and Gary Friedrich, whom I got into the field and have known since high school, and uh, a couple two and Al Feldstein, whom I know and like, and a couple of other people were going to be there that I really wanted to and I didn't get a chance to you know, go out to dinner with him just to kind of see him at the convention. So maybe next year I can get up there a couple of days. But I, I always, that's the one convention I make every year. <laughs> yeah, I just saw Al up here at the Detroit Con not too mm-hmm. long ago in May. He's a great guy. We, you know, we argue uh, politically. We're like at opposite ends of the uh, spectrum and so forth. But, uh, and he sends me all this stuff that I just kind of laugh and click and delete. You know? but, uh, uh, but then we get together, you know, we get along real well. Because, I, I, of course, I'm such a huge admirer. I think Al Feldstein was a... Uh, was one of the most important writers and editors in the uh, you know history of the field. So it's just it's an honor to know him and be able to get along with him. So I'm not going to argue politics with him. <laughs> that would just be a waste of time. No minds would be changed, and we'd just have an unpleasant afternoon. I want to thank you for joining me here at tomorrow's Tune In Podcast today. We'll be back in August for our regular feature with an interview and updates on all our great books coming out in August and the upcoming year. If you are going to San Diego, please have a safe and happy time out there. And be sure to send us some feedback. If you've gone to any of the Tomorrow's panels or stopped by the Tomorrow's booth, hey, shoot me an email, chris at collectedcomicslibrary.com. And speaking of collectedcomicslibrary.com, come by my website and check out all the latest news and information about your favorite trade paperbacks, hardcovers, and collected editions over at collectedcomicslibrary.com and my podcast and blog. And finally, if you're not doing so, please come by Tomorrows.com and subscribe to the blog and our podcast. You can put it in your favorite RSS reader, and of course, the podcast can go on iTunes or other aggregators. So until next month, everybody, I'm Chris Marshall for the Tomorrow's Tune Podcast. Thank you very much.